Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that, as one listener put it this week, is making Mondays great again. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Good morning. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the Bachelor contestant who's telling girls not to eat for three days. Plus, is it wrong to go to the Melbourne Cup and what it's really like in the birdcage? And all of our feelings on the Victoria's Secret catwalk. First, Zara, how was your week? Not bad. We did go to the races, which we will get to a bit later because <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit to unpack there. Otherwise, for those playing along at home, my car is back at the mechanic because they, <laughs> unfortunately, a full work day wasn't enough to get the work done. So I've taken it back for the second time in the week. How? I don't know how much the second bill is going to cost. It's such a sick joke. I was talking to one of my friends this week who's in a little bit of debt at the moment. There is nothing like money stress. Nothing compares to money stress. It gives me this sort of like sinking sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. But also you're kind of half laughing at the same time because it's not like I'm in the gutter. Like I have a roof over my head. It is very first world. But it is really annoying at the same time so there's that i what have you been like watching listening? so i have to say i finished just finished playing for keeps i caught up on the very last episode yesterday fuck i love that show it is a brilliant show it's not getting much airtime is it because it's just playing in melbourne is it apparently i don't know if i just i heard that this week and because we're both from melbourne i would love to know if um our listeners in other states have been catching this show Because if it's not, that would make a lot of sense. Well, I really hope that it is at least playing in like Adelaide and Perth, which are also big footy AFL football states. I just think there's been such a lack of good content for women that is fluffy and still occasionally thoughtful. I think the way that they paint these women, these quote unquote wags, uh, because I know that is quite a controversial term, is in a really positive way, in a way that makes them seem like they are desperate to sort of carve their own identities in this sort of crazy world. Yeah, and have really interesting lives and things going on. Exactly. The the thing that took over my week, though, is I finished a book called Normal People by Sally Rooney. I'm a little bit, ti- a tiny bit late to the bandwagon on that one. Well, I'm excited because this means you can give it to me when I go to Bali. You will really, really like it. It is... A really simple story. It's just about a young guy and girl, and I'm terrified of explaining how books go in case I give it away, but it's about a young guy and girl who meet when they're very young and sort of fall in love. And it's sort of about their relationship as they go through the years. Oh, I like and that. And it is really simple. There are not many other characters. There's nothing totally remarkable about the story, but I wonder if I liked it because I started dating my boyfriend quite young and there are very few stories or novels out there where they depict a relationship that starts very young as something that's non-linear. I think every time you see a story where two people meet quite young, it is depicted as very linear. And every single friend of mine or person that I know who did start dating someone quite young and is still with them has had a very a pretty complex relationship in that time because it is very complicated. Mm. And I think there are a certain set of complexities that come with a relationship that starts young that are rarely discussed, Yeah, which I found, I mean, this is a different kind of story, but I still saw elements of that story that I really enjoyed, perhaps because I felt it was more relevant to me. In saying that, though, everyone I think would really love just the simplicity of this story, and it's beautifully written. What's it called? Normal People by Sally Rooney. There are no quotation marks around the quotes when they speak. What? Which is weird for a page, and then it just flows. Oh, interesting. I just thought I should flag that. That's weird. It is strange. You read the first page, and it's sort of a, a little jarring to start, but a really great book I would recommend 
anybody read it. Okay, great. How about you? I have been getting really into the Tim Ferriss podcast. Excuse me? (laughs) No, I'm not not laughing because you pronounced it wrong. I'm laughing because I recommended it last week. No, I know. On your recommendation. But then getting into the Did you listen to the Carly Kloss one? No, I didn't. Of course not. She doesn't listen to any of my recommendations. I I basically avoided any episode with someone that you like in it. Of course. Just in spite of you. No, I did listen to the Seth Godin or Seth Godin? Yeah, I don't Episode. I got onto that from Zoe Foster Blake. Obviously, anything that Zoe Foster Blake recommends is something I'm going to be consuming ASAP. So I listened to that episode and then that put me onto Seth Godin's podcast, which is called Akimbo. And I highly recommend that to anyone who is in the media or advertising or creative. It is epic and I really love it. It's a very unusual style. It's when I- so unusual. When you sent me the link, I was doing work. So I was doing two things at once. So I wasn't able to consume it properly. And I sort of just pushed pause and thought I'm going to fully listen to this and consume this later. But it was a, a style unlike anything I've listened to. You need to be completely relaxed and focused yes. on what you're listening to. If you're doing something else, you will get lost and Which is 10 minutes will go me. by without you listening. Yeah. He's got a very interesting presenting style. However, what he shares, he does everything in a lot of anecdotes and small short stories and I love it. I actually love it. I think he's incredibly wise and I think the wisdom that he has to share on that podcast is amazing. Now, we're not going to do as many recommendations as we normally do on this episode because we've got a jam-packed schedule ahead of us. However, we do have a bit of news that we are launching a recommendations newsletter. We are because we have a lot of spare time. (laughs) We do. We have a lot of spare time. We are going to be in your email inbox every Thursday. We are going to leave a link to where you can subscribe in our show notes and in our Facebook group. And to be honest, we'll probably put it on Instagram somewhere too, because we are social media whores. Shameless. <laughs> um, but basically because not only when we started accidentally recommending things on this, on this podcast, people started asking for it more and more and more, but also it's sometimes easier when it's in a written form where we can write to you guys and put a lot in there and put a lot of thought into sort of a very strict way of going about it. Yeah, exactly. So we'll be giving you recommendations on what you can read, listen to and watch during the week. Yeah. (laughs) We will be doing that. So that will be coming out on Thursday. Like we said, we'll put the link anywhere you can find it. We will make sure you can find a link to sign up. But we just wanted to flag (laughs) that with you now. The first thing though, Mish, that we are talking about today is when Dasha Gavaronsky, former Bachelor star, posted on Instagram that she is doing a three-day water fast. Yes, she did. Thoughts, feelings? I'm just so sick of influencers online thinking that they're health professionals. Like how much ego do you need to have to think that you can give health advice online without a qualification to do so? What interests me is that often I don't think that they know or realize or understand that they're giving out health advice because health on Instagram is so insidious that it sort of becomes a different playing field altogether, that it sort of feels like for them, it's something that they can have ownership and opinions over because it's everywhere. So I don't actually think they realize, I hope actually, that's me best case scenario saying, I hope they don't actually realize what they're doing. So what Dasha did a couple of days ago, and this was discussed pretty widely in our Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip, where she posted that she was doing a three day water fast, which is exactly as it sounds. She is only drinking water, about three or four liters of water a day for three days, nothing else. So it's basically starving yourself for three days. Yeah. Basically. And look, I might have been a bit harsh when it came out and said, what does that say about your ego? No, I think it's a narcissism thing to be able to 
give health advice for sure. Well, it's prescribing something, right? That so you're saying, not an expert in and have absolutely no training in. Yeah. She's taking an ailment, which she's saying, oh, I feel bloated and I feel yuck and I feel disgusting. And so I'm going to heal my body is the type of language she's using by not eating. That's very prescriptive. And if you do not have a dietetics degree or if you are not a doctor, that is extremely dangerous to do so. We actually reached out to Louise Adams, who is a clinical psychologist and the creator of Untrapped, which is an online program for women who want to escape uh, dieting culture and yeah. eating disorders. She also has a great podcast called All Fired Up, if you are interested in this realm too, about dieting and debunking this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, she gets as fired up about this stuff as well. Oh, she is brilliant. <laughs> if you have any questions about diet or anything about around eating disorders and how we talk about food, she's really good. She had some pretty pretty strong opinions on this, didn't she? Yeah. So when we reached out to have a chat with her, she told us water fasting is unnecessary and risky for physical and psychological health. People have died on water fast from starvation and from over-consuming water. Apart from death, it's a dangerous message to spread because you're essentially telling young women not to eat, which is a surefire way to set them up for disordered eating patterns and developing an eating disorder. Basically went on to say cycles of binge eating and restriction are not healthy. This I find very interesting because uh, I know that we are not experts, but Louise Adams is an expert, and I think we can have this conversation leveraging off those comments. Dasha Gavronsky launched IamDasha.com this week to coincide with the water fast, to coincide with her boyfriend, I say that very loosely, which is Charlie from The Bachelorette, leaving the mansion. Publicity stunt. Well, totally. I think you think about all of these things coming together. A week or two ago, she posted um, a side-by-side body transformation shot on Instagram of her and basically said that for her, how she looks influences how she feels and went on about how terrible she felt in the first before photo, which was a really still beautiful photo. And a lot of people were arced up about that. This seems very deliberate and I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a reality star so brazenly leverage off their 15 minutes of fame in a way that's so detrimental to the hundreds of thousands of young women who follow her. I almost don't want to give it airtime right now, but because we've actually never had a conversation about water fasting and because I've actually never heard about water fasting, I think it's important, but I actually have never seen anybody use this platform in such a negative way. Yeah. And a juice cleanse is one thing. At least with a juice cleanse, you're getting some level of sugar or carbohydrate from what you're drinking. A water fast, you're getting fucking nothing. Like, what are we doing? Why are we telling girls to do that? It's similar. I do feel a similar level of anger towards Ellie Ochen, obviously this year's Bachelorette, who's about to launch a healthy living ebook with zero input from a dietitian or a doctor. Instead, she said that the entire thing is in collaboration with a, quote, naturopath and herbalist who I looked into it and they haven't studied at a university. They've studied at an alternative medicine private facility, which doesn't count. It's not in place of a doctor or a dietitian. You can't substitute the two things. No, you absolutely can't. And I think what really gets me in this kind of conversation is going through the comments on her Instagram post. And there were people who were criticizing her for posting about this. And it's not just the fact she's doing it, but of course the fact that she's posting about it to hundreds of thousands of people. And she commented back to somebody and she said, when it comes to food, people are so sensitive. Like if you say you're going to skip a few meals, you're considered a complete lunatic. This is a woman who clearly has a really, really unhealthy relationship with food. And I think that's a very fair assumption. If you are happy to broadcast a three-day water fast, if you are happy to talk about skipping multiple meals in a row, 
here is a woman whose relationship with food, like I said, is very healthy, is very messy, and she is projecting that relationship onto thousands of women. It's one thing for us to struggle with a relationship with our food or a relationship with our body, and I think for a lot of women, it's quite natural. I mean, the kind of world that we have grown up in has told us that those things do really matter to you know, our social currency. It shouldn't, but that's what we're told. It's one thing to have that relationship with food or your body. It's another entirely to project that onto somebody else, especially young women. And think about what time of the year it's come at. It's November. I walked through my gym the other day and I love going to the gym, but I walked through my gym and there was a huge poster that said summer bodies are made right now. And I can't believe we're still wheeling out that slogan that summer bodies have to be fit and toned and look a certain way everyone's thinking about what they're going to look like in a bikini in a month's time. The sun's coming out. It's preying on girls' insecurity. and It's it's using her own insecurity as well. She should be better than that. Well, it is. It's using your insecurities to drag other people down with you. And when you're an adult woman, that is one of the most dangerous things you can do when you demand such a social media following. I have to say you touched on juice cleansers before. I feel quite similarly about juice cleansers. I I know that a lot of people in the public eye or with social media followings do juice cleansers under the eye of some kind of expert. But my issue with these kinds of things is how hard it is to get context across on social media. And I think people or young women or young people in general tend to take bite-sized pieces of what you've got on social media. It is not like you can write essays or explain yourself a thousand times over because they can just click across or stop reading. And in that lack of context, I think you might be following a juice cleanse under professional eye, but a lot of girls and young girls don't or can't see that. They don't actually see the context around what you're doing. And I think because context is really hard to communicate, I think it's dangerous for young people to be talking and doing juice cleansers on social media because it's so hard to get that message across. Yeah, and I don't think that one woman scrolling through Instagram and seeing that Dasha Gavronsky doing a water fast does not necessarily mean that woman will go and do a water fast. What it does mean is we're contributing to a culture where women feel like they need to diet and need to restrict themselves and need to not eat to look a certain way. And it's all insidious. We see it all the time. And I feel like we need to make a pact. And Louise Adams said the same thing in her quotes to us, that Social media influencers and anyone with a voice should stop talking about diets yeah. and weight loss. Just stop. No one ca- like no one needs to know. If you want to go and do it under the supervision of a doctor, go do it. Don't put it on Instagram and push your insecurities on other people. Well, that's what I definitely agree with. And I do think that social media needs to be uh, void of any discussion about diet, any discussion about juice cleansers, anything that people might be doing that is relatively unconventional to either lose weight or clean their gut, which was whatever they say they do. Um, I think that really needs to leave social media because I don't think that there's a, it's a realm where we can talk about it in a really productive way. This is why I really like podcasts, for example, is because I think podcasts have the ability to give context around what you're saying and you can have conversations in a really nuanced way. Social media and, and websites don't have that ability, which is why I think we actually need to abolish them from the platform altogether. Agree. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories you may have missed from the celebrity news cycle. Michelle, what have you got for us this week? Okay, story number one. Fake engagement, free food, <laughs> and sponsored hotel stays. Our Love Island's Taylor Demir and Dom Thomas becoming Australia's most shameless reality couple. That's from Daily Mail. For all Daily Mail's terrible headlines and terrible journalism, 
Sometimes I appreciate the abil- their ability to be totally cutthroat in what they say Five in a way stars. that people, no other news organisation can. <laughs> this was a really interesting piece on Daily Mail talking about how Dom Thomas acknowledged that he is a full-time influencer now but refused to acknowledge whether Taylor Demir is a full-time influencer. I mean, I don't think it matters that much. I did think they're fake engagement post was a little strange. Yeah, so do I. I think it's playing a short game, not a long game. It's playing the shortest game in the world because people are already annoyed and it's been two or three months. Yeah, and they might be raking in the cash now. But if you're going to be an influencer, you basically need to be looking two years ahead and going, okay, what type of bikini line am I going to launch? Or what business am I going to leverage off this social media fame? So... To take yeah. every endorsement deal that comes your way in such a short amount of time, in in such a way that your entire feed is sponsored posts, is a very, very risky game to play if you want to play it in, for a long time. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just want to get in and get out in five months. Well, I don't know. See, Taylor Demir to me has a lot of currency. I think a lot of women look to her for fashion inspiration yeah. and a lot of people look to her because she was quite likable in the show. She was divisive, of course, but, but Kira like, Maguire was divisive. Yeah, she was overall like, quite likable, for yeah. sure. So it's surprising to me that this is the route she's gone down because I think if she pivots quite quickly, she could actually have quite a success. Um, I think it's too late. Interesting. I think it's too late for all of the Love Island people who are playing the short game. Interesting. My second story, Spice Girls never asked Posh to be involved in their 2019 reunion tour. That's from news.com.au. Is that even true? I think she just got work to do. No. So they had had discussions over a series of years. Yeah, exactly. And she would have said all the whole time, I've got this multi-million dollar business to run. If it ever happens, I won't be able to do it. Well, she brought it up with them when she found out that they were reuniting and said it just would have been nice to be asked. Who who says this? The Spice Girls. They gave an interview about it. Okay. Boom. Gonna, this, is, this is some <laughs> random source. Oh, whatever. Who cares? It's not the same thing. The clickbait here is astounding. Yeah. And... Victoria Beckham can't sing. I think even Victoria Beckham knows that. She's made jokes about her microphone being switched off in the past. Most celebrities or most singers lip sync anyway during concerts and unpopular opinion, I couldn't care less. No, neither. But this is the thing. Her talent does not lie in music. Her talent lies in fashion and styling and the media. And Yeah, well, and branding. So, yeah, it's not really a loss to me. How do you feel about them reuniting? I, it wasn't on my radar at all. I heard it and felt absolutely nothing. See, I loved the Spice Girls. I would have been young, like five or six, when they were big. I mean, I enjoyed their music, but I'm not chasing them down to go to their concert. Well, they're not coming to Australia. You don't need to worry. No, they're doing a whole five, six show thing where you can clearly tell they're trying to gauge whether they can sell tickets and then they'll take it further. Well, they probably need the money. 100%. So I would not be surprised if they did a world tour. They just kind of need to see if there's interest there. Power to them. My third story. This is my favourite of the entire week. Actress Emma Thompson wears sneakers to Buckingham Palace to receive damehood. That is from CNN. Oh, I love Emma Thompson. How kick-ass is Emma Thompson? Do you think that there, there's a general soft spot for Emma Thompson because of the character she played in Love Actually. Absolutely. Every time I picture Emma Thompson, I see her (laughs) holding that album. Was it Joni Mitchell? Holding the Joni Mitchell album. Do you know who Joni Mitchell was before that movie? (laughs) Or she's just in the bathroom. Before I even watched it, my mum talks about this scene of this movie where she's in the bathroom as if it's the best acting she's ever seen in her whole life. And mum always describes it and she's always saying, she's stealing herself for her children. She doesn't want to cry. (laughs) It is true. It's very good acting, but yeah. But when she leans into the coat pocket and then pulls out the necklace and it's not for her, it's for the... Oh. Fucking Severus Snape. Oh, Jesus. 
<laughs> anyway, she wore sneakers to Buckingham Palace. She asked Prince William for a kiss, which he rejected, obviously. Naturally. And I just want to say, she's really awesome. I encourage anyone to go read her Wikipedia profile. Not only did her first husband cheat on her with another actress, she... Ended up. Well, she gave some great interviews about that last yes, year. Yes, yes. She ended up remarrying and had a child via IVF when she was almost forty, I think. And then they adopted a child soldier from Rwanda. Yeah, she is quite amazing and a really no bullshit kind of celebrity. Love like her. she totally circumvents the PR spin that goes around. Absolutely. My fourth story: Lisa Wilkinson misses out on invitation to Carl Stefanovic's wedding to Jasmine Yabra. That is from Daily Telegraph. Impressed you didn't call her Yasmin. Yeah, I know I do that. All I do it all the time too. Um, this is interesting. I missed this story. It must be a tiny wedding. Yeah, I don't know. They're not very close, it seems, because they included that Carl wasn't invited to Lisa's renewal of her vows last year. She was still working at Channel Nine then. Did I just say vows? What renewal of her vows? Hey, I owe you. <laughs> no, she she didn't invite him, and he didn't invite her. It seems like it's actually going to be a pretty big wedding. The Carl and Jasmine really nuptials. To be they don't have to be best friends. They worked alongside each other for a very long time. Yeah, but it's kind of like me and you doing a podcast for 10 years and, and then, then me then. walking away, getting married, and you not copying an invite. Yeah, I'd be pretty annoyed. <laughs> You're right. Um, that is really interesting. When is the wedding? It's soon. I'm, I'm not quite sure when. I, I'm guessing I reckon they'll do like a New Year's Eve wedding. Oh, they would be absolutely the kind of people to do that. There was a great article that somebody put in our Facebook group this week about, I think it was a Fairfax piece, which was interesting, on their hens and bucks parties. Yeah, maybe at the wedding soon then, but the hens party sounded pretty... The way they painted it was absurd. Like, (laughs) let the girl have a hens party in peace. Didn't they talk about like penis? Oh, I wish I had this um, sentence up in front of me, but they did say something that I pulled out of the article where they said uh, Jasmine, dressed in a silver slinky dress, uh, (laughs) sat in front of the table and was given what is a hen's party staple penis cake I'm like how is this how is this a sentence that i just read in a news article i'm so excited for the stage of my life where i start going to hens parties and just being a trashy bogan the that's, entire that's night that's the thing i think give anybody the chance to be a trashy bogan for about 12 hours and they weren't even that trashy so i'm going on a million tangents here they hired like a twelve thousand dollar a night crown suite mm. who has that kind of money when can we host the today they show? should be paying for my car service <laughs> My last story for today's quick and dirty. Hear me out. I think Chloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson have secretly broken up. That's from Cosmopolitan. I am always a fan of the investigative pieces into breakups, but the reasoning behind this investigation and the the thought process behind <laughs> it was so absurd. This was by Cosmopolitan's Emma Beatty, and we will put the link in the show notes because it was pretty hilarious. She brought in a professional face reader yes. to talk about Chloe Kardashian's face. And he's in like photos, yeah, not like, smiling. She looks sad, and I think there's more trouble under the surface. Aren't we all professional face readers? We're human. If you're emotionally intelligent, you're a professional face reader. Give me a verdict. Are Chloe and Tristan still together? Of course not. But I think they're trying to be civil for the case of the child. He's I such have a no fuckwit. idea. I hope she's not with him. I don't also care that much, but I don't think that they'll be together for very long. Well, you know that there was another round of tre- cheating rumours in September. Of course, because they're not together. Well, it's not or cheating. he's just a cheating fuckwit. No. I'm swearing a lot today. I know. Sorry. A lot of pent-up energy. There is a lot of pent-up energy. No, I don't think they're together, but also I don't care. Okay. So there's those two things for you. That was a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> there you go. Is that all you've got? That is all for today's Quick and Dirty.
Okay, this segment is going to be a little bit different. This week, we're going to talk about our experiences at the Melbourne Cup birdcage, who we saw, what happened, and if it's as glittery as you see on television. But given the controversy and viral anger of the last week, first, Zara, we're going to start with something else. Given we attended the Melbourne Cup ourselves and some of our own listeners vocalised their fury about that, let's unpack the question of whether horse racing is unethical. How did you feel about hashtag NUP? to the cup and the death of horse cliffs of moor i think we can start by saying nobody wants to see a horse killed on track i mean nobody wants to see a horse killed altogether but certainly nobody wants to go to the races and see a horse die particularly in the last couple of years when there have been a few horses that have been killed in the melbourne cup and i don't think anyone is going to go to the races and celebrate that fact Mm. no matter how many champagnes you've had i don't think anybody wants to be a part of an experience where that is very common In saying that, the conversation, I mean, I have to say we missed a lot of the conversation that went on in the Facebook group while we were at the races. I think it was deleted before we had the chance to actually see it. I am all for productive, intelligent conversation. Absolutely, people can have opinions on whether we go to the races. We have opinions about everything. It's only fair that people have opinions on on what we do occasionally. My issue from what kind of seemed to go down in this Facebook group is that wasn't very productive. And I think that's what we just want to flag as well, is that any debate that does go down in the Facebook group, whether it's about us or not, needs to be productive and kind and, and analytical regardless of what goes on. Yeah. And we're totally cognizant of the fact that the bigger this podcast gets, and we do have a lot of listeners now, and we're so grateful for that, for you guys supporting us, but... We do know that the bigger it gets, the more reaction there's going to be to certain things that Zara and I do. And we are semi-public figures now, I guess, by virtue of the fact our podcast has listeners. However, it was a bit upsetting. We took the opportunity when we were at this event to actually turn our phones off. We both turned our phones off for hours at a time. That was the first time I've done that in years. I never turn my phone off and go without it. So to then turn it back on and realize all this went down in our own Facebook group was a little bit jarring. It's totally jarring when you create a community with an intention for it to be kind and only for people to infiltrate that community to be rude about you. And I have to say it is completely water off a duck's back for me. But I do think it's worth us talking about it regardless, because I do think, I mean, we can start talking about us first and then get into sort of the nitty gritty of, of the ethics of horse racing and, and the sort of the celebrity pop culture sphere that exists around it. I do think there's a difference between holding us personally accountable and professionally accountable for going to the races. Our professional brands are in celebrity and as journalists, this isn't an animal rights podcast. We aren't vegetarians. We don't preach about the environment, nor do we about animal welfare. I don't think it's ever even come up on the That's- podcast. It's not to say we don't care. It's just to say professionally we've never been about that. And I don't think you can expect us to be something we've never promised to be. I I think you can wish privately that we cared more. You can absolutely wish personally that we cared more. But professionally, that has nothing to do with the brand and the podcast that we've created. No, nothing. And this is the thing. We can't be everything to everyone. We do try to stand up for what we believe in and what we are most passionate about. But as you said, we've never spoken about animal rights or animal welfare on the podcast. And it would be a bit jarring when we're trying to talk about Emma Watson or (laughs) Kim Kardashian and bringing that in too. Yeah. And I'm not a vegetarian. I eat meat. I'm sorry if that upsets any of you. I'm, I will praise any vegan or vegetarian to the hills. I think it's great what you do, but 
I don't do that. I've never claimed to do that. And I think it really comes back to reaction culture. Like we've been speaking about over the past couple of weeks that if you want to jump on a cause for a handful of days at a 365, that's fine. But a lot of the people who did that and who jumped on the Melbourne Cup, nup to the cup hashtag, weren't doing anything but shouting at people and making totally. harsh judgments about what we are like, our personalities and our souls and our spirits based on going to one event. So what really upset me was one girl who was vocal on Instagram, not towards us, Zara, because I don't want to call out any of our listeners, but God no. one of the women that I saw going on influencers' social media posts was slamming them really harsh comments. I went onto her page and one of the things on her Instagram story was of her eating KFC. Now, KFC contributes to animal cruelty. That is to do with factory farming. That is to do with a whole range of issues that the junk food and fast food industry has with how they treat animals. If you want to turn your nose up at people for one day on social media without thinking back to your own behavior and checking yourself then that's your prerogative. But I don't think that's very wise and I don't think it's very helpful. What are you actually no, contributing to? And I think to? this is what's missing in the nup to the cup debate because that is not to say it's not worth a discussion. I will be the first person to say it is absolutely worth a conversation, worth a debate, worth us sort of really analyzing our own behavior. And definitely have been, we have been doing that in the last few days, but it has been very aggressive. And I know when I, I'm going to relink that that piece on reaction culture, I think in the show notes that I mentioned last week, because it very much feels like we need to stand for everything all the time. And although we like to make good points about things we care about, we can't possibly take a stand on every single thing all the time because we wouldn't be human. We'd be robots. And I think it goes the same for any ambassador of, of the Melbourne Cup or anyone who appeared at the Melbourne Cup or, or any of the race days to expect that any of the people in your public eye will will stand for every single thing all the time is very dangerous because I think what you do is that you you shout them down in such a way that they lose confidence to raise anything else ever again. And I don't think that's very helpful. Like I said, I'm I'm absolutely up for a discussion, but I think when you when you do shout people down in such a way that is so aggressive and occasionally quite hurtful too, you you run the risk of them never wanting to open their mouth again and that's a very dangerous thing. Yeah, exactly. I also think that the people who put the nup to the cup hashtag out, if you have done your research and you've arrived at that opinion, that is totally fine. I totally get you doing your research and arriving at the opinion you have. If you hashtagged nup to the cup and were sharing some quite graphic images online without looking into the racing industry, you need to keep in mind you are slamming people's livelihoods. This is an industry that is worth hundreds of millions of dollars that contributes to the economy, that keeps people in rural communities in a job. It is extremely important to so many women and men in the Australian community and it's not very responsible to just jump on a bandwagon without looking into it because you've actually critiqued their entire life and you've basically called them animal abusers with when that's not necessarily the case. No, and what I find most, most interesting about this industry and this week is how jarring it can be. You know, there's this huge celebrity side of it, but there also is people who work their entire lives around horses. And I think when we have this conversation every year, it pops up. The voices of the people that work in the industry are very rarely prominent. They're often drowned out by yelling, which disappoints me a lot because I think there is room for both sides to have a conversation. We got a, an, a message from two sisters called Ebony and Elise 
Tuopolo during the week, which we asked them if we could quote them on the podcast because we thought it was a perspective really worth listening to. And they said, we are horse owners and have many retired racehorses, including one called Sun Target. The use of whips seems to be one of the main concerns for many this year. Racing crops are padded. The number of times the rider can use their crop is capped during a race. While we do believe sometimes the crop is overused, we would like to stress that horses communicate by kicking, which we can tell from personal experience doesn't tickle. As such, these padded crops often do not bother the horse nearly as much as you would expect. The horses that are attending events like the Melbourne Cup are the ones that want to run. No amount of crop use is going to make a horse run if they do not have the heart to do so. Yeah, I think... They even acknowledge themselves that there is there is room for nuance in this debate, that there is room for saying, yeah, maybe some people do do it too often, but how about you just listen to us? When we work with horses every day, we and know. And ex-race horses who people yeah. say, uh, there's this opinion out there that all ex-race horses are slaughtered. Yeah. And that's not true. That's just not true. Speak to people who actually own ex-race horses and they'll tell you that's not true. I totally understand why people are upset. We're going to get to that now because we shouldn't wash over the horses who do to die in this not. race. So Cliffs of Moore, Verima, Admire Ratke, Araldo, Red Caddo and Regal Monarch have all recently died in the Melbourne Cup race. That is horrible and horrific and we are not standing by that and saying that's a good statistic and we're not washing over that. However, the stats don't lie. The fatality rate is thought to be between 0.01 and 0.02% in races around Australia. Now, it's not very high. I know that those are still lives. And yes, of course, we should do whatever we can to try and reduce horse deaths on the racetrack. But let's not pretend that every horse race ends in a death. I think it has been extremely unlucky and extremely dark that one race, the race that is broadcast around the, the world. race that stops the nation. Exactly. Has had so much death. And that is horrific. And I hope we can change to make sure that horses like Cliffs of Moore and Verima and all those names that I listed before are more protected when they go out. One stat that I really do want to bring in is that 62% of traumatic injuries to horses occur when they're actually out on a field. Ridden exercise accounts for about 13% of injuries. I, before we do move on into the actually sort of celebrity pop culture sphere of the race horsing industry, I do want to flag one, the only argument in this entire conversation that actually made me flinch, which was someone in our Facebook group mentioned that by going to the races, we are being hypocritical because we had a conversation about domestic violence last week and domestic violence rates peak after big events like the Melbourne Cup. I think that is the most dangerous way of looking and talking about domestic violence that we can possibly have. Putting the blame on people that go to events where there are alcohol puts the blame on every single person in the country for domestic violence. It's not focusing the conversation on men that are killing women. It's not focusing the conversation on men that are hitting women. Instead, it's putting the blame on people like you and me who spend half their lives trying to talk about domestic violence. I think we need to be very careful about what we're accusing people of because it particularly when it comes to very sensitive issues you cannot possibly put the blame on people who are going to events surrounded by alcohol because to be honest the middle the moment I walk into a bottle shop I must be encouraging domestic violence because there's alcohol in there that's yeah. honestly what that argument feels like to me so I think when we're talking about high profile events around alcohol we be, need to be super careful about what we're accusing people of absolutely agree before we move on I think the best way to focus our attention on the races next year is to focus on how we can modify the races to make them safer they should not allow two-year-old horses to race there have been studies that prove that is detrimental I think we need to look into spurs and tongue ties which have also been linked to animal abuse 
the British horse racing industry invested £1.5 million in 2012 into doing these exact things and looking at the safety measures after the death of the two horses at their biggest cup race. And since then, they have not had a death in five years. So we can modify horse racing to make it safer, and that's when we need to focus our energy. It's true, and I think to be super pragmatic about it, I mean, I don't know whether it's very productive or even realistic for us to talk about a world where uh, an event like this doesn't exist simply by virtue of how much money it generates. And people might not like that opinion. In fact, it's not an opinion. It's just a fact. But I don't think we can possibly have a conversation about this, assuming that one day it won't exist. I think it will. Too many brands get way too much out of this event for for it to not exist. There was a great piece in the the AFR recently, I think it was actually last year, but that's recent enough in the history of the Melbourne Cup, that said more than $427 million flows into Victoria's economy as a direct result of the Melbourne Cup of that $33 million is spent on fashion alone. Now, that is a huge number. When we're talking about the birdcage, for a lot of these brands that we interviewed in this piece who have used the birdcage to leverage their brand or to, to gain a lot of free, not free publicity, it's expensive publicity <laughs> in the past, it has been huge for brands. I know um, one of the people that was influential in bringing GH Mum to the birdcage said that they arrived at the Melbourne Cup in 2020 in 2010 and they were a small up-and-comer since this sponsorship we've become the fastest growing champagne in australia for seven years on the trot isn't that huge i think emirates said a similar thing in that they they said there was maybe three flights a day going from melbourne to singapore when they first launched their birdcage marquee since then their flights have increased huge amounts so this is a huge industry for brands for celebrity moments for for it's a huge part of our culture here. Yeah. It's a massive day for so many people. And we obviously went along. We were invited by Bumble, who were lovely enough to welcome us into their birdcage marquee. What surprised you the most about that experience? How many people I recognized walking around everywhere. We would look out of the marquee in Bumble and see like Andy Lee and Rebecca Harding walk past. That is true. You sort of become known to it about how many people you tend to know. Also, we live our lives on Instagram or looking up celebrity and pop culture stuff. So I feel like we have more knowledge on who people are than is absolutely necessary, which is almost embarrassing when you walk into a market and think, I know 50% of the people in here and not one of them know who we are. No, I'm like, I know exactly how many Instagram followers you have and your boyfriend's name. That is quite a confronting thing, I think, when you realise. One of my favourite parts, I think, was watching people because we were quite vocal on our Instagram stories about standing in a corner worrying that we we're going to have nobody to talk to. But what I did find interesting is how normal a party it is in that there are a lot of people who are quite well known with a lot of Instagram followers who do sit in the corner by themselves yes. on their phone for about half an hour. Yeah, I saw a fair few very well-known influencers very much stay to themselves and their little group of friends, for sure. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, mingling between different parties. There were some. We danced with these drunk girls. I have no idea who they are, but miss you if you're listening to the podcast. (laughs) Well, actually, one of my favourite parts of the whole day, I was telling my boyfriend this just before we recorded, was watching people that I know, that I didn't know, know each other, engage in awkward conversation (laughs) and awkward small talk. So there was this really high high profile fashion blogger talking to this very famous footballer and both of their partners around. So it was a very innocent conversation, but clearly they didn't know each other very well. And I am going to the bar right next to them. And all I hear (laughs) as I'm ordering my drink is, "Mm, yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> and then just this deathly awkward silence. And it was very human, that moment. Do you realise how human everyone is? Like, there were some big celebrities there that day. I was shocked at how short Lara Bingle is. She Lara is- Worthington, thanks very much. She is very strict on the use of that last name. Oh, sorry. Fair Lara enough, too. She's friggin' stunning. She is. That is not surprising. I was uh, initially... Caught by surprise that she was the big international guest coming. And the minute she arrived, it all sort of fell into place. So Bumble invited Lara Worthington all the way from America to attend the Melbourne Cup. And she was there for a few hours. And the minute she arrived, which was about one or two o'clock, the marquee was pumping full of every major news organization in the country. The whole outside of the Bumble marquee was swarming with media. And you suddenly realize in that moment how good of a publicity move it is when it is a yellow marquee, every single news organization with a camera is catching that Bumble logo in the background. Everyone is uh, interviewing Lara Worthington and they have to mention Bumble because she is a guest of Bumble. And that is just good journalism ethics to mention that um, because they're paying her so much to be here. And it probably lasted about 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, the amount of content that would have come out of that, that time was crazy. I was actually quite blown away just watching it all come together. I have never seen a media swarm like that around one person. It would be so weird in yourself. I was thinking it while we were watching her to rock up somewhere and have so many people fixated on you. That would give me so much anxiety to walk through a crowd. I and think have- you could do it if you were paid however much she was paid. But there was, uh, not exaggerating, hundreds of cameras pointed yeah. in her direction, hundreds of people who wanted to talk to her and get a shot of what she was wearing. It's insane and it's actually a really good partnership I feel like they chose her quite wisely because she does have her own uh, skin and tanning brand which seems to be going quite well yes and so the evolution of Lara Bingle has been Lara Worthington thanks very much sorry it is no because I'm taking the piss out of it but I do think it's quite important for someone like Lara Worthington who has very deliberately rebranded because she's has to because to be honest we drove her out of the country when I was doing my research on, on her in the last few days after the cup. She was a 19 when she had that affair with Brendan Favola. And the only reason we knew about it is because he took unsolicited naked photos of her and spread them around. Oh, it was absolutely slut shaming. so awful. And yet her reputation was the one that was ruined. She, I think, very deliberately changed her name to Lara Worthington for that rebrand. Not the only reason, also because she got married. But she has been very strict since on the use of that name. And I think it's only fair that we honour that. If we honestly drove her out of this country because we slut shamed her, then the least we can do is use a name that sort of represents this new identity. Do you I'm see sorry, what I'm sorry, Laura. No, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I totally get what you mean. And I think that entire debacle when she was so young. One. Yeah, when that when she was so young is that Brendan Favola's wife also released voicemail she left on his phone. It's just incredibly backward to blame a woman for a teenager a husband sleeping and having an affair with her. I mean, Lara Worthington's from Sydney. I do not doubt her when she said that she didn't know Brendan Favola was married at all. So many people in Sydney, I wouldn't know NRL players. I could go up there and sleep with an NRL player that's, who's famous and not even know. That's actually a very good point, but I just think it's very interesting that it's taken her more than a decade to rebrand and she is only 31. I think that is such a terrible indictment on how we treat women who have one negative story about them in the well, you know what? She's freaking killing it now. She's probably looking at us and laughing because she is married to a movie star. She has a brand that is kicking 
absolute business goals. And she's so elusive, which I very much like. And I, when I saw the swarming pack of media around her, it did make sense when you consider how elusive she is on social media, how long it took her to release the names of her children when they were born. She is not at all about putting, making the personal public, which is at very much at odds with the person that she once was 10 years ago. But I think it made a lot of sense, A, for Bumble to invite her and such a clever move when you consider how much press that got. The women involved in Bumble are extremely clever and extremely savvy. What else did you like about the day? We obviously got our selfie with the honey badger. Yes, I tell you what, when we... Sorry, smudgy bugler. (laughs) I did appreciate just for a quick second that when we approached the honey badger for a photo, and usually I do hate annoying people, but I had absolutely no issue storming across the market to get this photo. And he was talking to a very pretty woman. Sorry, Michelle, she was prettier than us. And he was fixated on this woman. And we just barged in between them and said, hi, do you mind if we take a photo? And he said, "Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. And then just looked back at this woman and kept talking to her. And we literally stood there with our arms crossed waiting for him to look back at us to be like, we're not going anywhere. I love that like 1,400 people liked that photo because it is the biggest inside joke that we got a photo with him. I found it otherwise. Oh. Nah, he should feel a bit mean for how he's acted. He did get kicked out of the marquee, not the Bumble marquee. I think it was the Mum marquee really? for getting into a punch-on with a patron. I do not believe that. No, 100%. Where did you read it? He had to be evacuated out the back. You know how they've got those well, weird Well, maybe back people were just abusing exits? him, which I imagine is happening and also not that fair. I just can imagine it. I think, though, just to wrap up this whole segment, because there is I mean, a lot in it and there is there is a lot in the entire day, whether that be from a celebrity angle, whether that be from an animal angle, whether that be us just attending. And I think, like we said, we will always encourage anyone to raise any kind of debate in that Facebook group. That is exactly what it exists for. It is for us to have conversations about things, particularly in the pop culture sphere, so long as those conversations are infused with compassion, I think. And you just wanted to finish with one quote from Ebony and Elise Puapolo as well, didn't you? Yeah, because I think we do need to remember that these are humans at the end of the day in this industry. And as Ebony and Elise say, much like any industry, there are good and bad examples of the practices that take place. I think that's exactly where we should end on. Exactly. I agree. This week was one of the most coveted events on the fashion calendar. It was the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. But among the beautiful women and expensive underwear, there's a quieter, more impassioned conversation happening around the brand's biggest night of the year. Where is the diversity? And is this brand even relevant anymore? Mish, where are you sitting on the parade? I am so conflicted. I'm actually so conflicted about this. I've been looking through our Facebook group and at all the comments, and I think even our our listeners are divided on mm. what Victoria's Secret does and what they stand for and if it matters that they don't have diversity on their catwalk. I think one of the most poignant arguments to me is that if a brand stocks, say, in Australia, size 6 to 16, they should represent the customers who are paying them. There is an argument. Why should they if they're still selling product? Well, why do I, I think the, the use of word should is very interesting there because I don't understand why they have a responsibility. They're a business, not a charity. Well, I think I'm saying it in a practical way. Yeah. I think if you want your customers to keep returning and if you want to have a good relationship with your customers, which is so important for businesses, yeah. that you should value them to the point where you show them in your product. If you want a size 16 woman to buy your product, show her what she's going to look like yeah. in it. Show her that you've taken her into account with your designs. So many... Uh, brands these days are very 
aware of their customers and aware that women don't come at one size and one shape. And I do feel like that's a very on point argument in this discussion that Victoria's Secret, if they're going to stock size 16, show size 16. However, the other part of me also really genuinely likes the Victoria's Secret catwalk and I watch it. I like the number one, the musicians. I think it's awesome to see so many prominent, popular musicians get up and perform live on stage. I love the outfits. I just think they're interesting to look at. It's all a fantasy. It's all a production. It's almost like a stage show. I'm very divided. I don't look at these women's bodies anymore in the same way I did three or four years ago. Three or four years ago when I had problems with eating and my body image, I would look at these women and feel overwhelming, all-encompassing envy. Whereas now I look at them and I go, yeah, she's really beautiful, but that's not the aesthetic that I aspire to or that I... It's also very exhausting. It's all consuming in order to get and look like that. Um, And I think it's very lucky that we've reached an age where we aren't as affected by it. I don't think so many young people are there yet. I I do feel also a little bit conflicted about this parade. I think it's very interesting that Victoria, we're having this conversation in a year that Victoria's Secret is struggling. In June, they reported and they released their figures that they were now 40% down for the year. And it was the eighth consecutive quarter in which the company reported sagging sales. I... I know that there's a lot of discussion around why we might be turning away from Victoria's Secret, particularly in the climate that we're in. And I think that's a very worthy conversation. However, I don't know if it has much to do with the cultural shift that we're in at all. I know that we're talking a lot about diversity more. And I know that we're talking a lot about the Me Too movement, which has been linked to Victoria's Secret sagging sales. But I honestly don't think it has anything to do with the reason that the brand is struggling right now. I think, A, the novelty of the parade is lost. I mean, how many years has it been? I think, secondly, they have relied very heavily on that very American mall setup where they haven't invested in online shopping, where they they want women to go to the Victoria's Secret store to have the Victoria's Secret experience, which is the big, you know, screens. LED screens. Yeah, with women walking the runway. They want women to have that and women aren't doing that anymore. I think in America, the mall setup is is becoming quite outdated and shopping uh, at malls has reduced so significantly. I also think it's a perfection thing. I don't actually know if it's a cultural shift thing. I think... Victoria's Secret thrived up until about 2016 before Instagram really took over our lives. And I think this is really important. Now we see hot people everywhere. We see hot Photoshop people everywhere. We respond to perfection. It's not to say that we don't respond to perfection. We absolutely do. It's why Instagram has has been so huge. But I think maybe we might be a bit overwhelmed by it at the moment that when we can't find authenticity online. Maybe that's what we're looking to our brands for. Yeah. I wonder if perfection doesn't work as a selling point anymore for brands, particularly lingerie brands, because we see it in so many other places. We have Instagram models left, right and center. So like you said at the start, what kind of smart marketing strategy makes a woman feel bad about herself now in a world where we can find that so many other places? See, it's interesting to me because I'm not sure if it's so much that they've missed the boat on perfection. I think they've potentially missed the boat on what the ideal woman looks like now. And I'm not saying that any beauty standard is uh, desirable because I think all types of shapes and sizes are beautiful in women, of course. However, I think they're still holding up the five foot ten, stick thin, yes fit, of course. They've got washboard abs 
but skinny woman up as the ideal where I would argue that the ideal woman, according to what we reward on Instagram in 2018, is a woman with an ass and a woman with a small waist, but like larger hips and a bum. Mm. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say there that that's the ideal now, that we no, glorify that on Instagram and that's what more people are interested in seeing. And therefore, it's quite paradoxical that they put the Kardashians in Victoria's Secret lingerie because the Kardashians epitomize what is valued in 2018, yet the Kardashian body shape is not what they have up well, on that catwalk. I think that's a really great point because if they were willing to invest their money in sponsoring the Kardashians' Halloween costumes, which I think we can say pretty well happened, that they are so willing to invest in their aesthetic to promote the show, it's interesting that they didn't put women like the Kardashians then on the catwalk. I, When we talk about the cultural shift that we're in in that we are rejecting A, body types that don't look like ours, but B, stuff that, that might exist solely for the male gaze which Victoria's Secret does. It's lingerie for women that exists for the male gaze. I actually think our cultural shift is not going to reflect sales yet. I think it's it's going to take a little while for our brains to rewire and for us to abolish the way that we internalise the patriarchy. And what I mean by that is, of course we would hate to think that we really value ourselves when we look sexy for a man or what the male gaze, quote unquote, is. But I do think that it hasn't been long enough for us to rewire our brains. I think we've been told for so long that that's where our currency is, that it's very hard for us to just snap out of that. I I think it's too soon for the, start, the cultural shift to start impacting brands. I think it's too quick. I don't think we've changed our habits shopping well enough. People are also saying that Victoria's Secret quality has dropped astronomically in the last few years, which I find very interesting too, is that there is a lot at play here. There was also another great piece on Business Insider that talked about Victoria's Secret relied on its its use of logos at a time um, where logos were quite huge, but millennials are turning away from the use of logos on clothes now and they want the smallest logos that they can possibly find. They kind of want to be a bit more anonymous in what they're wearing. And I thought that was very curious too, in that they're having to change small things about how they create this lingerie. I totally agree. One point that was raised that was really interesting to me was why was by one of our listeners, Amy, and she spoke about how you and I, Zara, often speak about curves and how we need to get plus-size women on this catwalk or curvy women on the catwalk. But even height is a major thing, that women who yeah. are either tall, like Robin Lawley, who has been very outspoken this year about the Victoria's Secret catwalk, or shorter. Why don't we see shorter girls on the runway? Shorter girls are beautiful. Why do we hold up this 5 foot 10? And it's hard for me because I am 5 foot 10. I'm so about 5 foot, so. You're tiny Why aren't there people me. like me on the catwalk? <laughs> I am very torn on this idea about diversity and it's taken me a little while in this conversation to get there because of course of course I would love to see women of different shapes and sizes on the catwalk but it doesn't stress me out because I don't know what we expect of a brand that built an entire empire on one body shape. They're not a public service. They're not a charity. I mean, I'm sure we can have conversations about how lovely it would be for them to have different women on the catwalk. But at the end of the day, how realistic is it? We're the ones that are responding with our wallets. And I guess it's a classic case of what came first. Do we respond and buy a lingerie like this because that's what the only sort of body shape they gave us? Or are they only giving us this body shape because we're responding with our wallets? I don't know. But I also know Victoria's Secret aren't going to be ones to fix the problem. And I wonder if it's wasted energy and we should put our energy elsewhere. It is a bit of a chicken or the egg scenario. The last thing that I wanted to finish on very quickly is, which I have not seen discussed 
anywhere and it's really frustrating me is the hypocrisy of, of Adriana Lima this week. She walked her 19th Victoria's Secret catwalk, which is an incredible feat, to be honest, to be at the top of your game for that long should be commended. However, at the start of this year, she posted an Instagram post that generated a lot of publicity for her brand, saying that she wouldn't take her clothes off for a baseless cause anymore, that she didn't like how it made women feel. That generated a lot of discussion. It made her look very good. And suddenly, six months later, her clothes are off. Again, I completely forgot with, about that exactly, post. which is really frustrating me because I think it speaks a lot to the hypocrisy when we want to talk about women talking about body image and wanting to embrace their curves and then acting in a completely different way. I think that is such a mixed message to send to women. I think she absolutely just abused the bandwagon, mm-hmm. the body image bandwagon, and that's really frustrating to me. You don't have to be a model and come out and say you don't want to take your clothes off. I couldn't care less what you want to do, to be honest. I care more about a hypocrisy around it. Yeah, that is very interesting. I hadn't even thought of that nobody's spoken about it. about it so that's that's where i wanted to finish um i'm actually more frustrated with adriana lima this week than victoria's secret because like i said they're a business and that's what they've made money on forever how can we possibly expect them to change boom have you heard of like caro's arrow i feel like that was zara's arrow of course that's such a melbourne reference such an afl reference hey thank you so much for joining us on this mildly long-winded ranty episode of shameless we do appreciate it if you lasted this long (laughs) we are a little independent podcast is zara and i here with our coffees as we do every single week if you love shameless and you want to help us grow you guys know the drill honestly the best thing you can do is either subscribe tell a friend or put it on your Instagram story. The Instagram story is the one we love a lot. So keep doing that. Thank you so much. As we said, you are so more than welcome to come and join our Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip. There is a lot going down there, if you can't already tell from this episode. So come and join and see what the fuss is about. Otherwise, we will see you next week for episode, not sure. 36. 36 is next week. Oh, I called this one 36. Oh, well, see you then. (laughs) Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.